Amen. All right, welcome to you guys. Looking forward to diving back in. Thanks for uh, adjusting. Last time I was sick in bed with the flu, but much better this week. So glad to be able to get going again. If you weren't with us when we met last time, we started a, a series uh, really dealing with <clears throat> topics that help us as men to be better leaders. What are the habits and commitments that we need to have as godly men? And we started specifically with a love for the Word of God and how it is the love of God that drives a love for His Word and then uh, a love for the Word that drives us to discipline ourselves to <clears throat> read the Word and obey the Word. I wanted to lay the foundation of the love for the Word of God before we dove into specifics of disciplining ourselves uh, in the area of Bible study because I want us to keep that in mind. And so Today, as we talk specifically about disciplining ourselves for the purpose of godliness and what that looks like in regards to Bible study, we need to keep in mind what we heard last time uh, because otherwise it can become, we can easily slide down the slippery slope of legalism and thinking that if we just do these things, these rigid activities will be holy and godly men. But if we don't remember that it must be birthed out of a genuine love for God and the Scripture, uh, we'd get off track. So keep that in mind. If you weren't here last time, um, you can pick up that recording and listen to it. But this morning, we're going to look at two things specifically. One, the command for discipline in the Scriptures, and then the practice of discipline. So we'll look at the command and then go into the practical aspects of how do we do that, how do we fulfill that command and live that out in our personal lives. And to see the command for discipline, we're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 4. So if you would, open your Bible with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4, and I'm going to read uh, beginning in verse 1 down through verse 9, and just to lay some context. And we're, we're going to walk through uh, some specifics from this text, and then we'll begin applying it. So if you would, turn there, 1 Timothy chapter 4, and I'll begin reading in verse 1. Paul writes, But the Spirit explicitly says that in, in later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything, God, everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected, if it's received with gratitude, for it's sanctified by means of the Word of God and prayer. Let me stop just for a minute. I read those four ver five verses because it lays the context uh, for what we're going to study. And yet again, Paul is addressing some false teaching that's going on in the church. And specifically, there were these false ideas around treating your body very harshly and abstaining from things in a legalistic way as if that would produce holiness. He mentions things like uh, forbidding marriage. What was that about? Well, the idea was there was some kind of heresy. Uh, it, it, many think it was dualistic asceticism, which basically means physical things are bad, spiritual things are good. So let's treat our bodies really harshly. Uh, the idea of forbidding marriage is that Physical pleasure of any kind, even in marriage, is sinful and bad. So don't even get married and don't even have intercourse in that environment. 
um, abstaining from certain foods. Don't eat these things. So it's, it's treating your body really harshly as if that somehow is going to mortify the flesh and help you in the process of sin. So Paul begins by saying, don't pay attention to this. This is false. Instead, I want you to do this. So that's the context. Now, moving on from that in verse 6, in pointing out these things to the brethren, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you've been following, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. For it's for this we labor and strive, because we fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. So what we're going to see in this text is Paul turning them away from false teaching and then directing them to the truth, as we see in almost all of his letters. And he says specifically in verse 6 that Paul is to point out these things, that is, point out this false teaching and that it's to be rejected, and then also point out the positive counterpart that the people are to follow. And in so doing, he says, you'll be a good servant of Christ, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of sound doctrine. To be a good steward in teaching the people in Ephesus, where he was the pastor at the time, he's got to be uh, teaching the word, standing up against false teaching, and pointing out these things. But specifically, he says, have nothing to do, this is a command here, have nothing to do, reject what he calls worldly fables. That's the false teaching that we just mentioned. And he uses a phrase here that doesn't translate well into our modern culture. Worldly fables fit only for old women. Um, Think of that as it was likely a popular phrase, kind of like we use the phrase old wives' tale. Um, It it, it was not derogatory or or, or putting women down. That's not the idea. But it was probably a, a phrase used in philosophical debates. And so he, he says, have nothing to do with worldly fables, but only for old women. But here's really where I want to focus. This is the positive counterpart. Instead, he says, on the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. That word discipline is a word that means to train. And it, this is a command. It's a present active command. That means it's supposed to be an ongoing part of our lives. Train yourselves. Discipline yourselves. It was a word used for athletes, athletes that would train their bodies physically to be able to compete in different athletic competitions. Think think of it in that way, track and field, wrestling, different things that they were involved in. Train yourself for the purpose of godliness. I can't use my left hand. Notice he says train yourself. So there's, there's an active component here where we're actively to be day in, day out, putting forth effort to discipline ourselves. We're not waiting for God just to zap us with a lightning bolt of holiness. We're not waiting for someone to come along and kick us in the pants. He says, discipline, train yourself. And he says specifically, here's the goal in mind. Train yourself for the purpose of godliness. For the purpose of godliness. 
He takes the athletic term, but pulls it out of the realm of athletics and says, instead of the training yourself to run a marathon, train yourself for the purpose of godliness. The idea of godliness is to be like God. It's to reflect the character of God. Train yourself so that you reflect the image of God himself. <clears throat> it's the op opposite, of course, of worldliness. When we think of someone who is worldly, what are we saying? We're saying they have the character that is prevalent in the fallen world. To be godly is to display the character of God himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And this is extremely profitable. He begins with the negative in verse 8, for bodily discipline, back to the, the idea of the false teaching, harsh treatment of the body, but even, even, even good bodily discipline, an athletic bodily discipline, is only of little profit. It's of little profit, particularly in this realm of godliness. Uh, you, you, can, you can beat your body. It's been proven by Christians in the past who were well-motivated but deceived that sought to separate themselves physically from the world, thinking, if I can just get away from the temptations of the world, I'll no longer deal with things like sexual temptation or, or whatever it may be. But what they found is when they got out there in the far reaches of the earth by themselves, they took themselves with themselves. And that was the problem. And they realized, it's not just my body, it's me, and I have to fight myself. It's not just being harsh to my body and that'll make me godly. And Paul, so that's what Paul's saying. It's bodily discipline is only of little profit. These harsh treatments of the body that are being recommended by the false teachers, that, that's not going to really do it. Godliness, instead, on the positive, is profitable for all things. Profitable for all things. Godliness, if you think about it, is the only thing that you can take with you into eternity. Because God justifies us at salvation and then begins this process of progressive sanctification whereby we're made holy in progressive degrees and then ultimately will finalize that in glorification, the idea is whatever progress you make in holiness by the grace of God goes with you and is added to exponentially when you're in heaven, but you get to take it with you. And it's also, of course, helpful in this present life to help you live life in a way that pleases the Lord. So it's, it's profitable <clears throat> in a way that, that bodily discipline could never, ever accomplish. I mean, if you could, you could work out your body to the point that you could bench press 500 pounds and have 0.01 body fat, but when you die, that's done. It benefits you zero. Paul says... Godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Whatever progress you make in godliness goes with you, and therefore it is exceedingly profitable, whereas bodily discipline is... He says he doesn't say it's of no profit. He says it's only of little profit. He's not saying cancel your gym membership and eat donuts all day. It, 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 we should take care of our bodies. He's just saying, if you think that's what's going to make you godly, think again. Godliness is the prize that we should be pursuing. And then, as he often does, he, he finishes that by saying it's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. Now, let's let's play off of that that athletic training and bodily discipline for a moment and think about that. 
if you want to discipline your body, you have to, to choose a workout routine that matches your end goal. For example, if, if your desire is to build body mass or you want to build muscle, typically the thought is more weight, less reps, right? Eat a lot of calories, lift heavy weight, fewer reps. On the opposite, if you want to be lean, the idea is more reps, less weight, more cardio, those kinds of things. So you choose a workout routine that matches the goal that you have in mind. The same is true when it comes to godliness. If we're going to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness, we need to think about what are the means that God has given for that to be accomplished. How do we do that? But as we begin to talk about spiritual disciplines, uh, I want to make sure we understand one caveat, and that is faithfulness in spiritual disciplines is not in and of itself an accurate barometer for godliness. Let me say it again. Faithfulness in spiritual disciplines is not in and of itself an accurate barometer for godliness. What I mean is this. There are people who read their Bibles faithfully that are not godly in their character. Bible reading is not like a rabbit's foot, where you pull it out and just rub the rabbit's foot and get some luck. It, it, people treat the Bible that way, though. If I just read it every day, then I'll be holy and my life will go great. That's not the idea. It, it's missing the point. Now, I will say, you, you, can, you can practice spiritual disciplines and not grow in godliness. That's possible. But at the same time, you cannot grow in godliness apart from them. So I'm not saying they're not important. They're essential. It's just essential to understand they are the means, not the end. Right? So if your practice of Bible reading is simply reading it every morning and then feeling really good about yourself as if that act makes you holy and going on about your day, you will find that your progress in the faith is, is slow and uh, nothing like what you intend for it to be. So what is an accurate barometer then? How, what should we be looking at to know that we're growing in the faith? If it's not how many chapters I read in the Bible today, what is it? Well, Paul tells us in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. <clears throat> Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. What, what am I saying? I'm saying if you want to measure spiritual progress, you have to look at how much fruit is being produced on your spiritual tree. The point of the means of godliness, the means of discipline that we have that the Spirit uses through the Word and through prayer, is that we would grow truly into the character of Christ and begin exhibiting that character in our daily lives. So look at your relationships. In your marriage, have you grown in patience? In, in your personal life in the battle with sin, have you grown in self-control? Have you grown in your gentleness with other people, in kindness, so on and so forth? That is a much better barometer for am I growing? It's looking at true character qualities that the Bible says, if the Spirit is in you, it will produce this, and say, is that in me? <clears throat> now, with that in mind, I want to use that as a, sort of a jumping off point for the practical aspect of this where we'll spend the bulk of our time. So that's the command for discipline. We are to train or discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. 
But now let's think through a spiritual workout routine. How do you do that? What are the things that you put in place to help you? So let's look at the practice of discipline. And what I'm going to do is I'm taking, I'm borrowing heavily here, um, at least in the main points, from, from Don Whitney's book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. If you haven't read that book, I would, I would encourage it very much. It's a, it's a very helpful book that he's put together just on different areas of spiritual discipline. We're, we're just going to look at today at Bible reading. We'll move on to other disciplines later. But today I want to start where in the most important place, which is understanding how to love and study the Word of God. And so before we dive into Whitney's uh, very practical helps here, I want you to think about two things. Number one, every true Christian will have a desire to read the Word of God. Every true Christian will have a desire to read the Word of God. It's the product of the Holy Spirit residing within you. There's a desire for God and the things of God. Now, that's not to say that that desire won't be stronger at some times than it is at others. It will. It may wax and wane. But if you, in your life, can say truly that from the time you, you claim to have come to know Christ, there's never, ever, ever been an inkling of a desire to read the Word or to know what the Word says, that should be very concerning for you. And you should go back to that point in which you thought you'd come to know the Lord and say, did I really come to know the Lord? Because when we love God, we love the Word. And the Spirit produces that. So that's, that's the first thing to understand. But secondly, and this is something we hit on uh, in the message from 2 Timothy 3 on the launch day. But it's important to understand the Bible is literally God's Word. The Bible is literally God's Word. That should affect us when we think about that. I want, you, I want you to interact with me for a moment. What are some of the implications of the fact that this book actually contains the very words of God? Just start throwing them out. What are some of the implications of that fact? It's true. Basis of truth. It's true. We have a sure foundation to stand on for everything. Yep, a firm foundation. You can count on it. Say again? You can count on it. You can count on it. You know how to be made right. Yeah, we we know how to be made right with the Lord because of it. Still applies. Yep, still applies. It's relevant for all time. We know Him. We can know Him because God's revealed Himself through it. We have to obey it. There's it's, no question. There's a matter of authority right yeah. there, right? We have to obey it. That's good. Anything else? We're warned. Yeah, through it we're warned. <coughs> Corrected. Everything for life and godliness. You know, we're not missing out on anything. Yeah. It is sufficient for everything we need. Yeah. Gives us peace. Yeah. Peace through the Word of God. Uh, go ahead. Teaching. Teaching. Yeah. It acts like that mirror that we, we put up and we can see our sin. At the same time, it guarantees us that some of it will be hard to understand uh, in the sense that we're going to have to study it. We're going to have to spend time thinking on it because if the infinite God wrote it and we're finite, it makes sense that it's not just going to be a simple reading of the text that's going to highlight the true depth that's there. So, So there are so many implications 
But I, I, I think it's helpful maybe just to remind yourself when you sit down to read this book in the morning or whatever time of day you do that, re remind yourself, I'm, I am about to partake of the actual words of God. I'm not just reading a cold, stale book, right? I'm reading the very words of God himself. And remind yourself of that because sometimes the truth is you won't feel like getting up and reading the Bible. That's just true. I'd say probably most days you won't feel like. I don't know that my alarm ever goes off and I'm just yippee, ready to go, right? Um, you, you do what you know to be true and right, and then your emotions and your thoughts follow that, right? They get in line. So, this is literally the Word of God, and if you are a believer, then you'll have at least some desire to know and read it. Now, I want us to look at uh, a few passages. What I'm going to do for the sake of time is I'm going to have you volunteer to read, and I'm just, we're just going to go kind of popcorn down the row and read these, just to help us see the value, uh, again, the, the Scripture's testimony to the value of Scripture itself. So... <clears throat> We get ready to volunteer, but who would take Deuteronomy 6, 4-9? Shema, Drew, Joshua 1, 8, Jason, uh, Psalm 1, Brian, um, uh, John take uh, Psalm 19, 7-14. Uh, who would take uh, Psalm 119? So you're going to do verse 48 and verse 60. 48 and 60. Psalm 119, 148 and 160. Uh, John 17, 17. That one is your, God sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. We'll just quote that one. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Can we just quote that one? All scripture inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for approve, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And then somebody take Hebrews 5, 12 to 14. He'll take that one. Ben, go ahead. All right, so let's start with uh, the Shema, Drew. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Joshua 1.8 This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Psalm 1. <clears throat> Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Thank you, Brian. Psalm 19, 7, 14. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. 
The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also, keep back your servants from presuming sins. Oh, sorry. Also, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me, then I will be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Thank you, John. Psalm 119, 148, and 160. 48 is, My hands also I lift up to your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. 60. 160. Oh, 160. Sorry, it's 148 and 160. <laughs> we just really good. Huh. I needed to hear that. I think, yeah. My... 148 is, my eyes are awake through the night watches, that I may meditate on your word. 160, the, uh, the entirety of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. Hmm. And then finally, Hebrews 5, 12 to 14. Oh, that's good. That's you. Sorry. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. You have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the work of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, and because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Hmm. So I wanted us to read those just to remind us again of A, the command to know the word, and also the connection in each of those passages between walking in righteousness and living in the word. Uh, if we want to be godly men, if we want to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness, that has a necessary connection to the Word of God. And so my desire as we go through this is not to put on you a load of guilt. I want to be really clear about that. Um, the truth is, none of us are as faithful in uh, studying the Word as we'd like to be and can grow in that. And so the desire is not for guilt, but rather for you to have a hunger. A hunger for the Word of God. Guilt produces legalism. Hunger produces a genuine desire for the Word. In the same way that when you miss a meal, you don't feel guilty about it. You feel really hungry. You want to eat, right? It's the same way with the Word of God. It's not as if God is standing in heaven... And every day, if you, if you forget to read your Bible, He's just displeased with you and ready to strike you down. Rather, it's that you've cut yourself off from something that's really good and nourishing to your soul, just like if you missed a meal. So think of it that way, where there's a positive hunger for it, and when you don't miss it, the appropriate response is, oh man, I'm, I, or when you don't have it, the appropriate response is, oh man, I'm, I, I'm hungry, I want the Word, I long for the Word. So with that in mind, let's talk about the discipline of the Word. And I'm going to walk you through these categories from Don Whitney's book of ways that we should intake the Word of God, okay? So number one, Whitney says we must hear the Word. Hear the Word. 
This is disciplining ourselves, one, to prioritize Sunday morning, being under the, the public proclamation of the Word of God in church. Uh, certainly that is a given. <clears throat> but also, many of you I know travel for, either travel for work or have a commute at least to work. Um, some of you may work from home. Either way, use your time well, structure that time, so you can listen regularly to the Word taught. I mean, we have a unique opportunity in our world today that some of the best preachers uh, of our day are available to you on your phone. All the way back even to Martin Lloyd-Jones, people that have already passed, who are excellent expositors of the Word of God, we have access to them in digital form, so don't, don't waste that opportunity. It's not that you have to listen to 10 sermons every day, but it ought to be a part of your routine to fill your mind with truth. Whether that be through music that's truly biblical and choosing music that has lyrics that bring your mind to the truth, or through the preaching of the Word of God, or a podcast that's discussing the Word of God or something like that, but take those opportunities throughout the day to fill your mind with truth. Hear it and surround yourself with it so that the scriptures even become the background noise of your day. Secondly, read the Word. So we want to hear the Word. We also want to read the Word. Now, this is something that that all of us have heard a thousand times. If you're a believer, you've heard this over and again. You should read your Bible. You should read your Bible. You should read your Bible. And yet, how many of us read the Bible as faithfully as we wish we did? Where's the disconnect right there? What's happening when we know and even desire to read the Bible and yet we look at our lives and at times we're not as faithful in Bible study as we would like to be? Well, I love this quote by R.C. Sproul. Sproul says, Here then is the real problem of our negligence. We fail in our duty to study God's Word, not so much because it's difficult to understand, not so much because it's dull or boring, but because it is work. Our problem is not a lack of intelligence or a lack of passion. Our problem is that we are lazy. Um, I don't know about you, but that hits me between the eyes, right? Um, when, When we neglect the Word of God, we make a lot of excuses as perhaps to why we've done that. But at the end of the day, the simple truth is we've not prioritized the Word of God as we should, which indicates at least at some level laziness in the things of God. The most common excuse when it comes to not reading the Word of God is, I just don't have time. Is that true? No. It's just simply not true. I mean, I know a lot of you guys have busy jobs. We all have busy lives. Some of you may work 60, 70 hours a week. But even so, is it true that we don't have 10 to 15 minutes a day, truly, that we could read the Word? It's just not true. It, it just simply isn't true. What it means is, now you may have less free time than you wish you had. That, that may be true. But to say that we don't have any time is not true. And what it means is one of two things. Either it's just truly poor prioritization in our lives, where we've not structured our lives around the things of God, or it's just sheer laziness. Uh, but, but those are really the options. And the good news of that is we can, we can correct that um, because we do have the time. We just have to prioritize our time the right way. Something I tell people in in counseling all the time when we're dealing with this issue is that we call them spiritual disciplines because they require discipline. Um, 
That's why we call them that. Now, sometimes the word discipline brings up a negative connotation of just this, this ho-hum and duty, and I've got to do it, and if I don't... That's not the idea. Remember, it's driven out of a love for the Word of God and God Himself, okay? But that doesn't change the fact that you have to say, I am going to get up, and I am going to read the Bible, and I don't care how I feel. And that's the discipline part of it that each of us have to commit ourselves to. Don Whitney says that the Bible on MP3 has proven that you can read the entire Bible in less than 71 hours. <clears throat> think about that. You can read the entire Bible in less than 71 hours. And we think of reading the Bible in a year as like, whew, well, it's tough. How are we going to get it in? You know, but, but it can be done in just 71 hours. And he, he notes that if you read the Bible for 15 minutes every day at an average reading pace, you'll finish the whole thing in less than a year. So, with that in mind, how do we get started? <clears throat> what do we do in Bible reading? Well, I would suggest a goal of reading through the Bible at least once a year as, as a general goal. Um, when, when we talk about that, how are you going to do that? A couple of pitfalls. Avoid, <clears throat> I would say, avoid just flipping to random books and reading a chapter here and reading a chapter there. If you do that... Uh, a, you're never going to make it through. And what you'll find yourself doing is reading the same books every year all the time. You'll make your way back to Romans and Ephesians and, and whatever else it is that tends to be your favorite thing to read. And you'll never make it to the Ezekiels and Leviticuses of the world, right? Um, and the thing is, all, all of those books are the whole counsel of God. All of them. Every word of them from Genesis 1-1 all the way through Revelation. And we need to know what each of them says. <clears throat> so, if the whole book is the Word of God, then we need to be reading the whole book. Now, if you're going to read through the Bible in a year, you've got to discipline yourself not to get distracted. There is a difference between Bible study and Bible reading, and we're going to talk about Bible study in a minute. This is just Bible reading. This is big view, 30,000 feet. We're just trying to, every year, get through the whole Bible because we want to have a general knowledge of all that's contained in the Scripture. And what you'll find is that if you do this, each year it has a cumulative effect. Where you're, the first year you, you, you may get through it and say, Ooh, I, I did it. I don't, I don't remember what Daniel's about, but I know I read Daniel. Well, uh, each year as you read Daniel, Daniel starts to make more and more sense. And you see how Daniel connects to this book over here. And you're like, oh yeah, that reminds me of this and that and the other. That has a cumulative effect. So you keep doing it, keep reading it. The more you read it, the more that you pick up along the way. Um, now, I like uh, this a plan that Mike Fabares has laid out when he came and did the, at the Essentials Conference at uh, Countryside. He kind of went through just a real quick, easy way of thinking about this. So if, if you haven't been in the practice of, of reading the Scripture, you haven't been in the practice in a way that you think is really faithful, I want you to think through this. The first thing you're going to do is set a regular time every day. Set a regular time every day. A plan for Bible reading is not, I'm going to read the Bible. That's not a plan, right? It's not even a plan to say, I'm going to read the Bible tomorrow. That's not a plan. A plan is, I'm going to read the Bible every day, and I'm going to read it at this time, set at this place. I'm going to sit at this place, and I'm going to read at this time. I typically always read in the exact same place, at the exact same time, and it's very helpful because it builds that into your routine. Now, some of you may have jobs that flex, and sometimes you travel and, and different things like that, and so I would say make a plan 
that is the has the most likelihood of success and regularity for your pattern of life, whatever that is. But choose a time <clears throat> that is a specified time. And then, secondly, choose a place. I mentioned this with time, but time and a place. Because that helps build a habit. <clears throat> Excuse me, you start to think about that place as that's my Bible reading spot. And you start to look forward to the next time you're going to be able to be in that spot because it means you're going to be in the Word. Don't let your wife in that spot. Uh, no, it's got to be your spot. You, you, <laughs> let her pick her spot first, and that way you can pick your spot and know that it's safe. Um, but me with my Bible and my spot with a cup of coffee is my happy place. And so pick a spot. And just a couple of things. It should be well lit and not overly comfortable, right? It can be comfortable, but not overly so, because you'll, you'll find this, all right? The bed is not a good spot, just to, just to say. That's too comfortable. Um, and so find a spot, get out of bed, find a place to sit. It doesn't have to be a cold, hard metal chair, but it needs to be a place where you're not easily going to fall asleep. Third, choose a medium. That is, what are you going to read the Bible on? Are you a, a paper guy and, and you want to read it right out of the Bible? Are you an iPad guy? Um, are you going to read it from even now your phone, from an app? What, what are you going to use? But I would choose a medium and stick with that medium for the year. If you've never done this before, it may be helpful just to buy buy a new Bible. And it's kind of a your new new commitment, new Bible. There's nothing like the smell of a new Bible. And it's not been marked up. And so I'm, this is going to be my Bible reading Bible this year. Um, maybe you want to try a new tr- translation. Maybe you've always read NES and you want to read one time through ESV or, or something like that. But do something to jumpstart uh, that process. It's just like a workout routine. If you do the same thing all the time... Sometimes you get stale and you need to just mix it up. You can do that with your Bible reading routine. But choose a medium. Fourthly, a plan, a Bible reading plan. And there are a ton of Bible reading plans available. Um, <clears throat> my favorite one is the one I sent out earlier this year. If you missed that email, I'll, let me know. I'll resend it to you. But it's a five-day reading plan. And uh, the reason I like it is twofold. One, it does really good at syncing up where you are in the Old Testament psalms and the new testament so that you see these connections that you might not have seen otherwise two it's built off of five days which means if and when you get behind because you're sick one day or the kids get up earlier than you thought or whatever you've got two days to catch up and you're not truly behind Um, or if you stay on track and you've got two days to study or read other things if you want if you have a favorite book and you want to dive into that and so I really like it for those reasons. But if it's not your cup of tea, you can just start in Genesis 1, Psalm 1, and Matthew 1 and read a chapter every day, and you'll get through basically in a year if you do that. Um, and there's a jillion plans, literally. If you Google read the Bible in a year, you can find one that's tailor-made for your personality. The point is have a plan. Now, I've pushed reading the Bible in the year, but I want to give one caveat if this is really new to you, and the truth is you've just you've never really read consistently as you should, and this is this is totally jump starting something new for you, then maybe a more reasonable goal is read through the New Testament in a year, okay, and try that. And there are a lot of plans for that. You, there's plans for the New Testament in Psalms. Or, you know, there are lots of different plans, but the point is it needs to be something you will do, and to, to say I'm going to go from not really reading at all to now I'm going to read five chapters every day, is probably not very realistic. So I'd rather you choose something that you're going to do and do it 
then shoot for the stars, fail, and say, well, I, I, there I go again, I can't do it, okay? So the point ultimately is be in the Word, and the goal of this is to get the big scope of the Word. Finally, step number five of Fabares' plan is get a partner. Get a partner. Share it with somebody else. Doesn't mean you have to read with them, but share your plan with somebody else. Hey, here's my time, here's my place, here's my spot, uh, here's the way, the medium I'm going to use, and I'm doing this Bible reading plan. Would you, every now and then, when you see me at small group, or when you see me at something on would you ask me about it? I'd like that accountability. That's all, that's all that it takes. But telling somebody else just ups the ante a little bit um, to help you stay faithful in that process. I like something that Whitney says in his book. He says, discipline is the price of freedom. Discipline is the price of freedom. When we think of discipline, it may sound like we're, I'm sending you to boot camp, right? And, and you've got to do all these things, and it's just going to be really hard, and it's like spiritual boot camp. That's not actually true because discipline is what brings freedom. Think of it this way. An athlete, let's say LeBron James <coughs> let himself go, and he stopped working out, and he just ate whatever he wanted. He gained 50 pounds, and he's out there on the court, and we know that athletic ability-wise, he's the best athlete on the court but he's not free to use his athleticism because he's not disciplined his body to take full use of his capabilities, right? That's the idea. Flip that, a LeBron James who's in shape, who's in the best shape he can be in, now has the freedom to make access to the athletic ability that God's given him, right? It's the same way with uh, a talented musician. You see someone play effortlessly with the violin on stage and they just play Bach or whoever it is, and you're like, that's, that's amazing. They can play it with their eyes closed. They must have just been, God just zapped them. Well, they may have some natural ability, but the truth is they've spent hours and hours and hours, probably since they were very young, in their room squeaking out you know, hot cross buns um, <laughs> to get to the point they are. Maybe you've met someone and they just seem to have scripture memory. I mean, they just pull stuff all the time, word perfect. And you're like, wow, God must have just gifted them with a great mind. He, he probably did give them some ability mentally to hold on to things. But guess what? They had to discipline themselves to take full use of that. And you get the point. When it comes to, to, to discipline, it's the price of freedom. If you want to be the godly man that you long to be, discipline is the price for the freedom to be that man. Uh, he has a quote by Elizabeth Elliot. Freedom and discipline have come to be regarded as mutually exclusive when in fact freedom is not at all the opposite but the final reward of discipline. Um, that's the idea. Now I'm going to mention one other and we'll have to pick up uh, here next time because we're going to run out of time. But we've seen hear the word, read the word, and now we're going to look at study the word. Study the word. Now we've taken this a step further we're going beyond the broad idea of trying to get 30,000 uh, foot view here, and we're going to look at the weeds. Now, Whitney says in his book, the difference in reading and studying is a pen and, and a piece of paper. Um, I think that's a bit of an oversimplification, but it's a great place to start. Grab a pen, get a, maybe get, get a new notebook, something that's going to jumpstart it where you can take notes and, and, and peel apart layers and look up cross-references. Um, if you've never looked up cross-references, that in and of itself can be a very helpful Bible study tool. Get a Bible that has the little letters there and follow that letter and look up every cross-reference 
that's listed there, and, and it'll take you all over the scripture and show you how these things tie together. We've tried to design our small group ministry in a way that will help you do this and have a tool in your hand. And so the reason we added that first portion on the handout for small groups every week is to help you learn how to study the Bible in a deeper way. And it'll help you prep for Sundays. So just use that as a guide. What are we doing when we study? Well, we're taking a small portion of text. We're going to read it several times in its context. Okay, read it over and over again. And then I, I would encourage you, try to write it out in your own words. Write it, get, get it to where you can say what that verse is saying in a succinct way. I'd also encourage you to learn how to diagram the text. A block diagram can really open up the structure of the text so that you can see it and see the connecting points. And I'd be happy to work with you on that to help you understand how to do that. And then, this is one of my favorite parts, I like to take my diagram and write out observations. So just start seeing how words connect and say, oh, look at that, that verb is in the past tense. That, that means this, or that, that verb is in the present tense, or look at how this word is repeated over and over and over again. You start making connections, and as you do that, observe the text with pen in hand, um, you start to see things that you didn't see before. You start to look at words and say, I don't really know what that word means. Well, look it up, and um, I can suggest some great Bible dictionaries for you. But just spending some time with a small piece of text um, is going to open up deeper layers of the text that you've never seen before. And then the ultimate goal is to find the timeless principle in that text. We want to find, we want to study it in its context. So the first question is, what did it mean then? But then we want to ask, what's the timeless principle that translates to all people of all times? And then we want to apply that to ourselves. If you've been through partners, you know the, the TAN method, Fabara says, then, always, now. What did it mean then? What does it mean always, the universal principle? And what does it mean now? But many Bible study guides today, contemporary Bible study guides, begin where? What does it mean to me? But that's step three, right? And the problem is if you start with what does it mean to me without, without considering its context, you, you can pull all kinds of things that may actually not be what it means to you. It does mean something to you in the sense that God has an intention for that text that should be applied to you. But it's not your meaning. It's the meaning of the text applied. So what does it mean then? What is the universal principle? And then how do we apply that to ourselves? If you'd like to go deeper on that, Tom did a, a series on Bible study that, that where he went much more in depth than I'm able to go in this one lesson. And you can go on Countryside site uh, in the search thing, put in Bible study. And Tom uh, has, has several lessons on how to do these processes. And I'm, I'm just hitting, I'm skimming them. But he'll walk you through how to do them. And at some point in our time, I'll probably do the same thing. And we'll maybe take block diagramming or something like that and really work on it together and show you the fruit of that. Today, I just want to give you the overview of those things. So I don't want to keep you from missing uh, work or keep you from work. And so I'm going to cut it off right there. We'll pick up uh, with number four, which is memorize the word next time. But I hope you can see, one, the Scripture's clear that we're, we are to discipline or train ourselves for the purpose of godliness, and we're to use the means that God has given us uh, to do that. And one of those is the Word of God. And so your assignment is to choose a plan if you don't have one, 
and share it with somebody else. That's your assignment. Choose a plan, share it with somebody else that can hold you accountable, and just start reading the Word. Um, and uh, pray that we'll be like the man in Psalm 1 who loves the Word, meditates on the Word day and night. Let me pray for us, and I'll let you go. Lord, we do thank you for the clarity of your word, understanding that this is a command for us, that we are to be diligent in these things, uh, that they are to define us. And we pray, God, that you would help us to grow practically in our study and reading of the word, that we would take Bible studies seriously and that we'd prioritize our lives and arrange our lives in such a way that it's a non-negotiable, that we will be in the word, and that we recognize the connection between studying and loving and, and meditating on the Word and the rest of our lives and how that propels us into godliness as we discipline ourselves or train ourselves for the purpose of godliness. We recognize that we're, none of us are as faithful in these things as we'd like to be. And so, God, we ask that by the power of your Spirit, you would help us to walk in a way that pleases you. And most of all, thank you for your Son. Thank you for Jesus Christ who has redeemed us, who has made us new and has put these desires in us by the Holy Spirit. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.